everybody. Before we dig into today's podcast, I hope everyone is doing well. Artists, photographers, neon makers, vendors, shop owners. If you just love neon and if one day you hope to own your own sign, whoever you are, I hope you're all okay during these trying times. Number two is our merch. If you ever wanted to wear something with the intent to feature neon front and center, it's online. Hit merch on the main nav on the site and so on. And last, text us, 917-565-9616. Love to hear from the community, general thoughts, musings, and or whoever we should have on the show. Whatever it is, hit us up, and here is your podcast. Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, neon, helium, xenon, krypton. Transform and roll out. Hey, listeners, it's Max at Mondo Neon, and I'm with Gabe Hall. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, Max. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Gabe is uh, uh, really doing a lot of really cool photography, um, signage and architecture. That's pretty much how I stepped on your work. A lot of it is really kind of the great American signs, if you will. Um, Really, the travel aspect of your work, too, is a lot of fun um, on Instagram. And you just get a, a lot of different perspectives on um, photo work and, you know, kind of the addictive nature, I think, of a lot of the neon photos, especially now, uh, as I just sort of introduced your work, the, I guess, the specialness of it all maybe has, has weared away. I think some, there's a lot of different types of work out there, but I hope people realize that a lot of the beautifully composed shots are really, um, I think, about emotion. And I think the the heyday of all these signs being around will uh, stop. You won't see as many of them. And I think on multiple occasions, I think the work that photographers are doing, especially in the neon space, is very critical in not only just harvesting the community that is out there that wants to know more, may not want to be interested in obtaining their own sign or making their own sign, but has a realized effort to want to go out and document this stuff. Uh, I mean, your earliest memory with photography and neon, did you have that kind of in the back of your head that there were things that you wanted to photograph that you loved a lot in neon or what had happened to you in that transition? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Thanks so much for that introduction. So it is a blend of uh, travel and being on the road and I mean, the very nature of signage um, in general, and particularly neon, is that it's designed, it's crafted, it's meant to be seen. So it's it's hard to avoid um, when, when you're in the car. And I actually can recall pretty clearly driving to uh, the record shop back when a lot of people bought vinyl with my parents as a five or six-year-old and passing this place called Lynbrook Bowl, which a lot of Southern Californians will know. And it's got a historic sign that's been up since the 50s. Uh, my great-grandmother actually bowled there. And we passed it, you know, every time we'd, we'd go to this shop. And uh, I think that was probably my first both conscious and, and, and to some degree subconscious memory of, of signage really just you know, imprinting itself on my brain. Um, my mom took a lot of pictures and uh, when I kind of restoked my love of photography in the last 10 years, signage was just kind of one of the first things I really wanted to capture. In many ways, I feel like uh, you're finding something out in the world that often goes relatively unappreciated or in many times is from a different era. So uh, I think that's 
that and, and a few other reasons was was what drew me to it originally and and keeps me drawn to it there's also the the kind of the general idea between you know i guess some of these roadside attractions from when they were really originally kind of up and running it you're in california is that right right i'm in uh long beach in southern california and and yeah there were a lot of you know little hotels that popped up back in the day and the probably I mean, throughout California's history, um, some of the first roadside motels were in, in San Luis Obispo, which is a little further north of me, but even some of the hotels that popped up around Disneyland that were pre-chain hotels that just had one spot often would have some pretty classic signage. Um, and so it was just kind of around in Southern California and, and in the ether and and a lot of a lot of great signs in LA, and so I think it was on my radar. And once I started traveling beyond the borders of Southern California, I think I just uh, just started noticing signs all over. And it's been uh, it's been a bit of an obsession for a while. So yeah, and there's a dizzying amount of them too. It's not just uh, your work in California. I think about you know just the signs that you did capture. You, I, I noticed a New York sign just being in New York and having a, a strong context for what those signs are all about. You're getting around to oh things like Smith's Bar in Times Square, which is a big. I'm a big fan of that bar. It's just funny yeah. that you had that shot there because I can remember sometimes walking by there. They have live music. I mean, this is obviously pre-COVID days. I mean, people could get around a lot easier and uh, I just always was stunned by just how much neon the double faced on the corner because it's not only is it just an attractive sign but you know there was always something going on inside and so it was fun to see you know kind of the different layers that you've been able to go out and capture and I guess you know it doesn't seem like you have too much I guess, tied up in each sign because it's fun. Like you'll take a sign that's relatively old and then just shoot it during the day or you'll just have it at night and then you'll have like a quick shot of it here and there. So that's kind of, I think there's a general idea between, I guess you'd say it's nice to have a specific type of body of work. But what I like a lot, you know, what I like about it is that you can really see, um, I guess, yeah, just the desire to go out there and take photos, which I think is really the best part about um, photography nowadays is you're, you're situationally in a place that maybe you feel bad that you have to get out your phone and do it. But I think uh, it gives people the tendency to want to, I guess, maybe over curate. And I like that there's mm. just a, a instantaneous nature to what you do. It just seems like you're fully in that, that experience. Is that kind of what I get? Yeah, no, I'm 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 pretty in there. Uh my my sister's lived in New York for the last eight or ten years, so I've taken probably ten or twelve, you know, trips to New York and I've covered, you know, a lot of square footage in Manhattan and shot a lot of those signs. Did a did a driving trip from LA to Texas and back and covered a lot of the well-known territory along the old Route 66 in Arizona and New Mexico um and shot some stuff in texas as well and i noticed that when i rolled into austin um some of the newer even kind of hipper businesses had some really legitimate signage um neon signs and one of the things that i I mean the neon gas itself is magical and there's nothing else that quite 
attracts a, a, a weary roadside driver like Neon. And as I'm sure you know, its history is kind of, you know, it was on opera houses in Paris when it was first discovered. It's got this kind of history of being associated with high culture and then at some point with sort of seedier bars and motels. And I like that it's ridden that ride. And it seems to me right now in places like Austin, it's actually hip to have a really good, you know, $50,000 neon sign. And to me, what I see in the sign is the glasswork that one artist had to, you know, create, but also the metalwork, the paintwork, the typography, the fact that it can withstand, you know, decades outside in the sun and the rain, and yet it still survives. And these ones that are weathered and just tell a story, it's amazing. And when you're road tripping and you come upon a sign that everyone else is just driving by and you pull off on the road and try to, you know, compose it thoughtfully and get the lighting just right and, and you know, everyone else is just kind of like ignoring it for the most part. It's interesting, but I, I do find there's obviously a community and you're, you're a big part of it, I think, that uh, is seeing a resurgence and an appreciation in, in really these pieces of art. Yeah, and so much of this stuff is, is awareness, right? Like I think when you look similarly at other movements, especially film, it took a while for a lot of those things to sort of happen. It was sort of a novelty in and of itself for a, while, for a long time. People doing sort of trick shots and sort of in-your-face moments and capturing all of that and kind of the kind of the shock factor. And then it kind of got to a point where there was some historical kind of context to what is going on, you know, it, it wasn't all just, you know, for, for whatever, but then similarly to signs, I think also too, is it kind of shed some of its advertising nature and it kind of scrambled to find itself, I think, attracting other types of travelers to maybe these kind of promising establishments. And then slowly as all of that cooled off, as the plastic craze came on board in the seventies, you eventually right. had these other, you know, kind of poignant, uh, artistic efforts kind of d dwelling on that I think and left to kind of wither around the roadside consolidating them movies like I think Taxi Driver and, and some of this some of these higher than high kind of uh, types of, of entertainment I kind of just touted that as being an indicator of decay or maybe just mm. a, a lack of I guess, uh, enthusiasm around remaining in those towns, you know, it's kind of like yeah. you go through them and then you just go right through them. Right. And you don't stop anymore. Right. So, <laughs> and now yeah. we're calling into the action, right? The people that have now installed these things, you have an understanding of what the residential building codes are preserving that, uh, that appreciation, whether it's the museums now not ending up in the scrapyard as they always did. Right. And then, you know, also the curation of it. It can't be misunderstood that there's a lot of people that are now curating neon shows, like similarly to the she Band group mm. uh, with Meryl. I just want to talk about them because I think there's a lot of collectors out there who are, are very quick to act on neon just because of its, you know, kind of potential feature uh, to kind of look at the uh, kind of the attractiveness of it. But there's a lot of really, like you mentioned, um, 
beautiful ordained type of work that goes into the physical sign itself. And then on top of that, you have all of this uh, intricate uh, glass bending and it's really, yeah. uh, it really should count for something. And I think it is really, people are now noticing it um, because they now have, you know, lots of other things to look at, like you said, and it, it just kind of goes back to uh, what do you adorn? Like, what do you pick up on? <laughs> what holds yeah. people's attention anymore? It's not, there's not a lot of things that, are, are can be put in that category i think still you know right no i think you're right and 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 also i mean there are obviously some you know corporatized neon signs out there but uh it seems like for the most part it just doesn't look like you know plastic letters with channel letters with you know led lights behind it that are corporatized it, it just feels like it's of a different, um, more authentic kind of nature and a little bit more of a, of a, of often of a smaller business. And, and, and it also speaks to just, uh, I don't know, sometimes of a, of a historical nature, often they are old signs, but in the case of Austin and a few other places, they're sometimes not. And, uh, in Austin, I came upon, um, this place called Roadhouse Relics that you might know of and some of your audience members may know of. It's a guy named Todd Sanders and he actually is a, does signage there and is responsible for some of the newer neon signs in Austin and I hope he doesn't mind me saying I think he's made signs for Willie Nelson's place and his house and anyway so that Todd's was a guy who was on the show. He's yeah, he was a treasure. So he, he showed me around his place when I was in Austin, got to see a lot of his work and some historic photos and some more modern stuff. And, and uh, it's really interesting. So, and like I said, here in Long Beach, there's a lot of great signage as well. And I go out and, and cover a lot of ground in LA and, and hit some, uh, hit some neighborhoods that are, you know, somewhat forgotten and, and we'll just drive and just take a few hours and not knowing what I'm going to find and, and just hoping that I'll find a little piece of history somewhere and, you know, we'll go around a corner and there'll be this just unbelievable, you know, dance sign that was made 45 years ago and it's just rusty, but the neon tubes are still there and it's still in decent shape and it's just so evocative. Um, it's great. So I'm just trying to document them all I can. They do seem to fade pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, once in a while, I've been up in uh, like Weed, California, where the Townhouse Hotel is and the High Low Hotel, which are pretty famous signs that are well, well shot. And last time I was there, one of them was gone. You know, they were like there in 2016 and then it was gone in 2018. So it's interesting. Uh, and I've covered the entire West Coast as well, all up and down, all cal through California, Oregon, and the top of Washington, and then back down, up, up the interior, and then down the uh, coast. And yeah, and when you think about that too, like with the West Coast, the largest, or one of the largest electric sign makers on the West Coast was um, was Electrical Products Corporation. They operated from the 20s to the 60s, and the the company specialized in, in you know really clearly large signs but you know they operated in a seventeen thousand square foot facility 
And so to get a picture of what that would look like, I mean, you're just, it's massive. That and I like what you mentioned too now is kind of um, prior to that, you know, or after, sorry, is it is known kind of synonymous, I think, neon now with smaller businesses and um, how important it is. We've seen a lot of things happening online lately where it's, it's more about where you're getting your neon from than, you know, where you're, you know, where on the internet you can find it. And I think that's good. I think there should be uh, an establishment around that, you know, whether you feel your taste is, is in the, you know, your, your current city. Uh, I think it's important to know who those people are. Um, but I think that, you know, there, like you said earlier, is that there, there was a, a large industry at one point. Um, and I think we'll never see that in, in sort of its, it's heyday, if you will, just because of the, the way that things are manufactured and the pivotal moments that have happened in the sign industry lately. Um, and it also seems like it's challenging to preserve some of the old ones. And uh, I remember dri driving up through the Redwoods in Northern California through Arcata, and there's a strip of Arcata near where Cal State Humboldt is. And there are like three or four just really classic old neon signs. And there was a guy outside the liquor store and I was shooting it and he asked me like, what are you doing, man? And I said, oh, I'm just trying to track down, you know, take pictures of these great signs while I can. And he said, oh, he, he looked kind of rough. Um, and he said, oh, I actually own the liquor store. So glad you appreciate the sign. I love it too. It was one of my favorite things about it when I bought the liquor store. I and the two or three other uh, business owners around here that have old signage have been like avidly trying to track down the one neon guy in the Redwoods that knows how to actually bend some tubes and get lights back on. And they're just like on it. It was so meaningful to them. It makes their little downtown Arcata truly look different. Like if all five of those signs just got replaced with like corporate channel letters, the little tiny city would look different. Um, yeah. <laughs> this guy cared and it's cool, man. Well, there was a sign. I forget which part of town it was. I want to say it was in one of the Midwest States and it was a gentleman who owned a business. It was a restaurant and it actually dates back to the thirties or forties, something along those lines. And the city actually wanted to hold it. Um, he said he's going to get rid of it. You know, this is after 50, 60 years of operation. They've got postcards with this sign on it. The city was saying, no, you can't do this. And so the business owner said, yes, I can. I own, the, I own the business. I own the sign. And so it was one of those things where the city itself, you know, they, lo you know, they lobbied trying to get this, this guy to change his mind. And even the guy across the street, the funny thing in the story is goes, the interview, and it's on YouTube or whatever, and they interviewed the guy across the street, and he goes, you know, if that goes away, we're just, we're the same thing like everyone else, you know, we've got the same, we're going to end up looking like the same. And, and even they all kind of understood it, except for the guy that owned the actual sign. So it was kind of the reverse of that, which is kind of funny. I mean, yeah. not funny, but you know, it such, plays such an important part of, because he was saying, hey, look, it cost me a lot of money to keep this thing on. And that's kind of what right. his argument was, was that, you know, I got a sink. You, know, you guys aren't the one having to sink X amount of dollars into this thing every year. So and I get it. That's, that's a very challenging element. I mean, I, I ran a physical yoga studio for a while and I, I didn't, you know, build an amazing, you know, metal and neon sign for the studio. So, uh, 
I get the constraints and, and at the same time if maybe somehow there were I, I'm not sure of the best solution to that because they are expensive and, and yeah. you know well I think you know the associated businesses could put to chip chip in I think that the city those those are the things that I think that come down to you know the the community i think there's a lot of funding like we now we have things like uh gofundme i mean there was crowdfunding now that you couldn't even have even imagined 20 years ago you know exactly. and so a lot of groups nonprofits specifically are now you know if you can't save the sign at least give it to somebody who can or incorporate it into a larger message which is encourage the city to sort of get on its toes and um start to look at these things a little bit closer, you know, for instance, like you said, the historical aspect of it. And then, right. you know, it could encourage sort of a grassroots movement where, you know, like you said, you might not be able to change everything in one day. Um, right. Similarly to yeah. that, things like, you know, a larger sign if it's advertising that gets erected and one sign can't be used like for another, they'll often change what it says or how it's, uh, you know, basically put together. So they might swap some letters out or introduce uh, like the city itself, like the stag sign has Portland on it now, but it was actually advertising many different things prior to that. So, right, um, that's a good transition, a transitional use of, uh, you know. Yeah, it might need some refining, but uh, but I think this the, the great part about photos, especially your work to tie this back, is that um, there's a roadmap. You know, a lot of signs they get put, you know, they've in such a, a removed state of repair that they no longer know what the color was because this part fell off or the color of the glass is no longer even operational. All of it's been broken. So right. you now have to go back to historical photos and they're black and white, right? <laughs> Cause that's a really good plan. Yeah, yeah. So we don't really know. And a lot of those glass, you know, the manufacturers of those parts are not around anymore. So there's kind of this issue of, you know, what do we do? And so that's, that's nice to have that as a, as a, uh, you know, historical someone puts document the, sort of yeah as a as a way to tell a story but also if someone was to restore that as a, as someone who loves mm. to restore old signs which there's well, quite a few guys that listen to the show that do this sort of thing um they really rely on those photos and i think online could be a great space for that they don't have to go i think you're right them, you know? i know like in san francisco there are a few spaces where for instance, one of my favorites is a really big donut sign uh, kind of near the marina that's been around for a while. I, I posted that photo within the last couple of months. It's not a donut shop anymore. It's, you know, like a high-end dress store or something. But I, the owners of the incoming shop still put up a new little sign of some sort to advertise their business. But they just left it. They're like, that's cool. They just left it. So yeah. it, it, it is possible to make a variety of decisions like that, perhaps within a, within a specific community. And like you said, just rallying around it. And around here, there are a few different uh, places. There's, you know, the Neon Sign Museum in Glendale that preserves and, and um, displays. And there's a place called the Valley Relics Museum which I actually haven't been to, but it's uh, up further in the valley and, and they restore some signs. And I know the Boneyard, obviously, in, in Vegas. And so, um, and before I was on Instagram a couple of years ago, I didn't realize <laughs> there were really that many other people that even cared. And then, you know, saw obviously a, a community of folks that, no, there are some other folks that care and, and then, 
you know, people like Todd that I've met along the way. And I've gone to a show that, you know, with, with a bunch of photographers of signage that are all, uh, that we're all together on Instagram. And anyway, it's an interesting little community. So I think, uh, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I think the podcasting format is, uh, is a great way to share stories about signs and for the community to connect. And I think too, the, the standalone nature of how this works is that you have one person knows a little bit more than the next guy. They can, you know, kind of bridge that gap. I think the, the serious competition factor has kind of ended up on the floor. And I think a lot of people realize, you know, if we keep these things lit, we're going to have, you know, they'll stand the test of time. And that's really, I think the, the establishment of not only just the neon, but the patrons that go and see these things, like you said, the museums you mentioned are really critical. Um, and we're now seeing some of that happen. I mean, even online, like you said, is it's, it's, it's debatable who has the most neon photos online, but there's a lot of really good accounts. You know, you can go and just yeah. you know, toss a number in there or a name of someone or a sign and chances are you can go find a photo of it. And I think that just wasn't the case maybe, you know, before the internet really took off. I think things like, right. You know, photo sharing sites when that first happened, I mean, that might've been the first time where people could really kind of construct um, you know, a portfolio online and be able to sort of proudly represent the signs that they like. And now it's just really taken off. So it's a lot of fun. I think, you know, especially with your work. Um, I just want to say that's, that's really one of the best parts about it is that, you know, I personally can't go visit, you know, California right now, but I can take, you know, kind of a, a, a digital journey. Um, <laughs> and I think now more with COVID now than others, people are really kind of counting the days till they can go out and do things they used to do. It really gives people um, a chance to, you know, kind of stop over and, and take a look and see, well, oh, what's over there, what's happening in that neck of the woods. And so that's been, I think, not so secret anymore, but that's the best part I think is being able to make the impossible possible. And that's been fun. So oh, right on. Well, I, I, I do like sharing on, on Instagram. It's pretty fun. And, uh, I have been very fortunate to have covered a lot of a lot of a lot of mileage, you know, maybe maybe ten thousand miles worth of photos. Uh, you yeah, know, ten thousand miles worth of photos. I want to just uh, interrupt you there. The, the your account, by the way, why worry wonder on Instagram? I do want to. Why worry wonder? Yeah. Which I guess there was a story with that too. I don't know if you want to get into that, but there is so many photos on there. If you just go search, Gabe's got you know, hundreds of, of just fantastic shots of all over. So, you know, I do. Yeah. Wanna... Every once in a while I'll, I'll drop in a nature shot, but uh, like for instance, when we went to uh, an area in Lake Tahoe, which is arguably one of, one of the most beautiful spots around, I abandoned for six or eight hours, my wonderful wife and daughter so that I could go into the slums of Reno and take shots of old, abandoned hotels and motels um but you know that week i posted a couple cd motel shots from reno um and you know a, a nice nature shot of lake tahoe so i've got a little bit of both anyway the why worry wonder for a while i was on this uh, ted talk obsession you know back when ted talks were kind of a big deal yeah sure there was this one guy who did a ted talk this is kind of meta he did a TED Talk about all other, other TED Talks, right? And in his TED Talk, he tried to basically, you know, summarize all the TED Talks up until that moment. 
And his summary of all the TED Talks came down to six words. Why worry when you can wonder? <laughs> and so I'm like, wow, that's pretty interesting. Why worry when you can wonder? And I just reduced it in half again and took out three of the words and kept the most meaningful three. <laughs> so anyway, that's how I got my handle. It's um, perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah, please go check out his work, everyone listening. It's Why Were You Wonder. We'll put a link in the show notes when this goes up. And uh, yeah, Gabe, just wonderful things. Uh, anything you're working on now that you can, you know, want to just still shooting photos of neon? Is that what's happening? Or how do you? Still shooting a lot of uh, neon, some architecture, a little bit of nature, and uh, been teaching iPad based photography because that's the tool all the kids in grade schools have. Um, and so every single one of my shots that I post on Instagram are all coming from an iPhone. Um, and that's partially because I have it on me and it docks everything geographically, obviously putting it on a map, but it's also partially to show all the kids that I teach that, you know, you don't have to have a $4,000 DSLR to, you know, take some, take some good shots and to really feed a, a photography habit. So, uh, that's cool. so that's what I've been up to teaching some photography class and a little bit of video work and, and still shooting. I uh, just was on a road trip, in fact, about three weeks ago up to Yosemite and, and shot a few um, interesting places. So anyway, I appreciate you having me, Max, and uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't done so, please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice. We have a lot of great neon guests coming up. And as always, thanks for listening.